The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. Continuing this football preview, let's go. Yes, yes. Know the Score is in the middle. This is our second 2019 NFL season preview. On the last episode, we did preview the NFC and AFC West. And this week, we're going to preview the NFC and AFC South. You can find Know the Score on the web at cspn.us. You can also subscribe, download, and listen to Know the Score through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, Dwayne, we're going to start with the division that you love the most, the NFC South. Or hate the most. (laughs) <laughs> well, I figure your favorite team is in it, so you got a lot of love for you got a lot of love for every team in here in some kind of way. The Atlanta Falcons will be the team that we start with. Last year, they finished seven and nine. Uh, they had a lot of injuries in the preseason that kind of told the tale of their season, especially on defense. And most of their injuries took place on defense, notably safety Deion James. Or Deion Jones, excuse me. So he'll be making a full recovery this year. So everybody's expecting Atlanta's defense to make a big improvement. But uh, they did some interesting things in the offseason. Their additions to their team, offensive guards, James Carpenter and Jamon Brown. Defensive ends, Chris Odom and Adrian Claiborne. Safeties, J.J. Wilcox, Chris Cooper, and Afolabi Laguda. Defensive tackle, Tyler Davidson. Uh, offensive tackle, John Wetzel, running back, Tony Brooks-James. And they fired, or Dan Quinn fired, all of his coordinators. So it's offensive coordinator, his defensive coordinator, and a special teams coach. So Dirk Curter, former coach of Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is taking over as the offensive coordinator. And uh, Mike Malarkey is going to serve as kind of like the tight ends uh, coach. And uh, Dan Quinn is going to take over full-time as a defensive coordinator, uh, a la Pete Carroll, his mentor out in Seattle. All right, so let's start with the additions. Um, I guess the biggest you know, thing everybody's going to be asking about is just what the offense is going to look like. Apparently, they've kind of tailored everything to what Matt Ryan does, what he likes the most. So Dirk Cutter, a uh, second chance here in Atlanta to get a chance to work with Matt Ryan. Uh, what do you foresee? Do you think that Atlanta, which whose offense was pretty good last year, I don't think a lot of their struggles uh, was necessarily because they couldn't put up or muster enough points. But uh, what do you expect to see different between Dirt Cutter and Steve Sartesian, who was last year's offensive coordinator? Um, I I think there's going to be more uh, utilization of Devontae Freeman as a receiving back versus. Just him handling the ball. Uh, expect more Calvin Ridley being utilized, uh, you know, to take the pressure off Julio Jones because we know Julio Jones is going to get his regardless. You can double team him, triple team him, 
and still find a way to get his 100, 150 yards a game. Uh, I know he said that he was shooting for 3,000 yards in the season. Good luck with that. Um, but I definitely see a lot of utilize what Devontae Freeman does best as run the ball and score touchdowns in the red zone. So um, I think their cutter does have a lot more to work with, uh, with Matt Ryan versus the, what he really had with Tampa, especially with the mix of running the pass. He has more dynamic back, uh, backfield, um, you know, Freeman leading the way. I think he's going to be the key and the catalyst of that offense. Um, you know, to help Matt Ryan do what he does best. All right. Now, the losses that the team suffered through the uh, free agency and offseason period, running back Tevin Coleman, cornerback Robert Alford, offensive tackle Ryan Schrader, place kicker Matt Bryan, defensive end Brooks Reed and Derek Shelby, offensive guards Brandon Fusco and Andy Lavitri, and like I said, offensive coordinator Steve Sartesian, defensive coordinator Marquan Manuel, and their special teams coordinator Keith Armstrong who are all let go by Dan Quinn. Now, I know what jumps out really fast is Tevin Coleman moving over to join Kyle Shanahan out in uh, San Francisco. But uh, the second biggest thing, or the two biggest things I looked at was Robert Alford, who's a really good young player, and Matt Bryant, who has always been one of the most consistent and clutch uh, kickers in the league. Automatic. Yeah, you know, not having him is definitely going to, you know, affect how they probably handle their in-game situations and those kind of in-between situations you get in where it's like, man, it's not quite really a good chance to go for it. But, you know, the field goal would be the best play. Maybe they don't do that as much now with, you know, a kicker who's not as trusted as Matt Bryan. Yeah, that was definitely uh, caught me off guard as well with uh, Matt Bryan being let go, one of the most – like I said, automatic uh, kicker in the game. And uh, Robert Alford really jumped out at me. I thought that he was a very reliable corner for Atlanta. But, you know, that's the beauty of free agency and, uh, you know, the curse of being cut by the team. So what I think is that you kind of sacrifice a few key pieces. You keep what you think is going to be the key down down there. Uh, like I said, Deion Jones uh, back from injury. Keanu Neal, he should be back as well. Uh, he still got um, Trufant there as well. So there's still a lot of great pieces there. Not as much death from what I've seen, but should be something you know that'll improve from what went down last season. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people are definitely going to have their eye on Dan Quinn being the full-time defensive coordinator uh, this season. Uh, a lot different than kind of what he's been doing the past couple of years. Uh, we're about to talk about another situation that mirrors this one in just a second. So, you know, that kind of everybody's always, you know, the thing about it is nobody blinks an eye when you hire an offensive guy and as the head coach and he's going to be the guy calling the plays and, all, and you know, whatever on game day. Everybody's kind of like, eh, that makes sense. But everybody seems to look at it different when it's you hire a defensive guy and then he wants to still call the plays too. Everybody's like, oh, no, he shouldn't do that. It's going to take away from his way to manage the team. And it's like, well, what's the difference? 
that's how he got the job, you know what I'm saying, was by his defensive coordinating skills. Why not let him continue to do that? There is no difference, really, if you really want to be frank about it. Um, because that's a situation that we're going to allude to um, in the next team that we can preview. Uh, Ron Rivera started doing that late last season, and the defensive group. So it didn't take away from any didn't take away from any um, any uh, head coaching duties that he had. So I think Dan Quinn kind of saw that saw the results there, and you know with Ron Rivera in Carolina, and is going to try to mirror that. I mean, that is your competition. You want to try to be as close to your competition. Yep. So we'll transition right into Dwayne's Carolina Panthers. They also finished seven and nine last year, but they were one of the hottest teams at the start of the season. I think they started out with six and two, Dwayne. Mm-hmm. And then the injuries started happening. And then, of course, once you get yeah. injured in the NFL and you don't have proven depth or depth, young depth that plays a little bit above its head or gets coached up a little bit above its head, things send things seem to turn around quickly. So the Panthers ended up having a you know disastrous second half of the season. In, in all forms of fashion, uh, Cam Newton had to be shut down. The shoulder just wasn't right. Couldn't, you know, all the pounding he's taken in the past three or four years is really catching up to him. So that'll be a big question. But their big additions are defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, who was a late release by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There was a short little frenzy uh, about who he was going to go to, but he ultimately decided on the Panthers. Uh, center Matt Pratis, defensive end Bruce Irving. Outside linebacker, Brian Burns. Offensive tackle, Greg Little. Quarterback, Will Greer. And wide receivers, Aldrick Robinson and Chris Hogan. So, Gerald McCoy is going to booster a defensive line that took a lot of losses uh, this year. Um, so, that's another outstanding player that they get, uh, you know, towards the, you know, Middle of his prime, I think. I think Jerome McCoy still got a lot of good football left, but Tampa Bay with a new coach and a new you know program going on, I guess just didn't want to invest in a veteran player of his tenure. Uh, Bruce Irving definitely going to help with the pass rush, um, and uh, you know everybody's going to have their eye out on Will Greer if he can step up to be the number two quarterback. He was drafted out of West Virginia, and that's yeah, going to be so sharp. Yeah, that could be real significant because, you know, Cam has missed uh, parts of the last three seasons uh, with injury. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. And then you also have the emergence of a new uh, wide receiving group in Carolina this year. Uh, We'll talk about some of their losses to the wide receiver core. But uh, Aldrick Robinson, Chris Hogan, uh, Aldrick Robinson, really fast guy, Um, not always reliable with the hands, but uh, he can get behind the defense. And then everybody knows kind of what Chris Hogan brings, good possession, veteran receiver. You have experience with Aldrick Robinson. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was was on the Washington (laughs) football team. Yeah, yeah. Now, he's fast, though, but, you know, the ball's got to be right on him. All right. Yeah. So uh, just kind of what stands out to you as far as uh, the additions to your Carolina Panthers? Well, I like the Chris Hogan addition. Uh, definitely a, a great possession guy, which Carolina really does need with all the speed that's around them. Uh, you look at, since we just talked about the wide receiving core, let's talk about you have Alter Robinson, who's fast, Curtis Samuel, who's fast. 
DJ Moore, who's fast. So you kind of need somebody that's like a change of pace kind of guy. And and uh, Chris Hogan fits that bill, along with Greg Olson. Uh, I would say Torrey Smith is one of the fast guys still, even at, you know, even though he's getting up there in his age. Um, and Jarius Wright, kind of an in-between kind of guys. And Ian Thomas, another possession guy. So got a nice balance with the receivers and tight ends uh, right now with that with that receiving core around Cam. And, of course, you can't forget about when CMC uh, coming out the backfield. I think he's going to be doing a lot more running this year. I think that's one of the goals they do have for him. Um, and I would say what they probably need is another back to compliment to compliment McCaffrey so he doesn't have such a workload. Um, and of course the shoulder issues that Cam had. Uh, you know, so far it's looking good. You know, you gotta take it day by day. I think with who's on the depth chart Will Greer, it's really up to him to the backup spot is his if he, he wants to take it. So I see a lot, I see the same things kind of happening. Of course, it's just going to be if health holds up uh, for Cam Newton, if that shoulder is, you know, as right as he, said, he says it is. But I know he's been working hard. If you watch any of his YouTube videos, you can see that he's putting in the work every single day. He's even done lifestyle changes, things of that sort, too. And really been kind of a very introspective kind of thing on on QB1. What I do want to say is that, you know, once the game speed does happen, we'll see how things go. Of course, you don't have that consistent force in Ryan Camille who retired and subsequently signed with the Jets right afterwards. Um, but you got... I think he would have been back in Carolina had Carolina not signed that Paradis, who is a great center in his own right. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, the line is the healthiest it's been in a long time as well. So if the line can maintain its health, it's a pretty good line. Trey Turner, Darren Williams, um, uh, Matt Paradis, and I forgot who's on the other side of the tackle. Uh, at the moment, it'll come back to me eventually. But uh, Carolina can be in good shape. It's just really based on the health of um, Cam Newton. And, and if we'll be ready or whoever is back, is will be ready. Uh, Cam Newton does look noticeably slimmer. Uh, and the you know little clips I've seen of him on the news and uh, just some you know random videos I've seen. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have. He seems to be much leaner. Uh, he still has the same you know body shape, but is definitely much leaner than he has been in the past. And maybe that will help him uh, have a little bit more flexibility, which can also lead to less injuries and more of a you know less chance that that shoulder starts to stiffen up on him. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see uh, if he, when he runs, how much he runs one, and if they design more runs to go to the sideline where he can kind of get out of bounds and not have to take as many hits as uh, he has been taking when he does run. I think with 
that's a good that's a good point too. I think uh, Laura Turner has definitely said he's actually has come out and said he does not want to take away from who Cam Newton is as a quarterback, but he also is going to make sure that there are plays designed where he doesn't take the beatings that he's taken over the last few years. And I think, um, and I think even Cam realizes himself that he has to be a lot smarter with how he runs, where picking spots and things of that sort too. So, I definitely don't want to take that away. You you know where Cam Newton is in his career right now? Where is he at? He's at the year where Jeff Fisher uh, finally put Steve McNair in the lineup, and then they played like that first season with him. They played the second season, they almost made the playoffs, and then that third season they went to the Super Bowl because Steve McNair figured out that, oh, you know what, if I run selectively but throw a lot better – you know, they can't really defend us. And he's getting about right there. And then once, uh, you know, Steve McNair totally got the running kind of really under control, he unfortunately shared the MVP with Peyton Manning. He should have won it straight out. But that's that's kind of where we are with Cam Newton. He's finally realizing, like, I can't do all this running. And now he's got to get to the point where he's got to become, you know, a much better passer. And, you know, bigger things could definitely come from this. Like, if this season is a success, I would look out next year because he'll have the confidence and the trust that, hey, you know, I can stand in the pocket and make 10 more plays than I can if I, you know, try to run. Right. I agree. Uh, and he's also working on his throw, like his throw motion. And that's why I said we got to wait to see how it works against me because you got, the, you got the throw motion. You've been working on it, but can your muscle memory maintain that throw motion that you've been working so hard on? Right. The important losses suffered by the Panthers in the offseason. Defensive end Julius Peppers uh, called it a career. Definitely will be in the Hall of Fame in five years when his career is all said and done, or when his uh, time is up, eligibility is uh, up for. Wes Horton as well uh, moved on. Center Ryan Khalil that you talked about. Linebackers Thomas Davis and Ben Jacobs. Wide receiver Devin Funches. Cornerback Captain Munderland. Safety Mike Adams. Offensive lineman Amino Suliotto. And left tackle Chris Clark. And left tackle Matt Khalil. So Devin Funches uh, looked to be like building some chemistry last year with Cam. Looked like they started to kind of get some things going, and then, you know, of course, Cam gets hurt, and then, uh, you know, with a backup quarterback, it seems like more people get featured than the number one guy, and so Devin Funches' number started to decline a little bit, and apparently, you know, he became kind of a, 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 you know, dischanted soul in the locker room after that, and he decided to move on, so there's been a lot of talk about, like I said earlier, the new wide receiving crew, they seem to be, you know, much closer and, and, you know, more together and they don't have the person kind of off to the side sulking. So what do you make of Devin Funches? I thought it was surprising that, you know, he would leave the Panthers so quickly. I'm kind of glad he's gone. If I'm going to be frank. And the reason why I say that is I, there were a lot of times where he was very frustrating. I would kind of just put it like that. There would be flashes of brilliance uh, there would be flashes where he would look like he was real in sync, and then there's 
there's also times where he looked like he was, like I said, like just just interested, uh, disjointed, not in tune with everybody else. And you know, I remember a particular playoff game in New Orleans where he had a clear clear path to the ball, and all he had to do is just use his frame, you know, use the basketball turn, box out, catch the ball or attempt to catch the ball, and he just let the ball sail by. So uh, sometimes I question the effort that he had. I'm sure he did put in the effort every time he put on the uniform, every time he stepped out on the field. Uh, You know, I'm sure it was there, but sometimes it just didn't look like it. So I'll put it that way. And so I think it was the best in best interest for both Funches and for the Panthers to move on from one another. And I think there's, you know, I think there's going to, hopefully we won't hear like any Calvin Benjamin kind of stories, but, you know, we'll see what, we'll see how that goes. So, um, I think the guys that they brought in, are a better fit, and I think the chemistry is a lot better. Also, Greg Little was the fifth lineman that I was looking for. So yeah, uh, Greg Little. I think Greg Little probably be the either you can either put him or Daryl Williams on either side. So, but I do see that. I do see that. Um, Chris Hogan. I, I look at that as an upgrade, really. Chris Hogan by himself as an upgrade from David Funches. How big of an advantage do you think is going to be for the team and Ron Rivera himself that he did take those last four games, he took over the defense, and then that's going to be the same plan this year as they go into the season? How do you think that that will make the you know a full season of that go smoother? Do you think it was an advantage, or do you think that maybe it kind of showed his hand a little bit and now people might have a little video on what's, you know what his style is going to be? Well, if you really want to look at the video and the style, you know, let's look at his years as the defensive coordinator of the Chargers. Uh, and so I'm sure, you know, there's probably some new new wrinkles in his defensive schemes and things of that sort. But I think it was a benefit because the defense kept the Panthers in a lot of these games. It was just, if it wasn't for Cam's bum shoulder, uh, and if Cam was fully healthy, those a lot of those losses would have been wins. So I think those last four games, they were very competitive. I think they could have at least won three of those four games instead of losing three of those four games. Uh, at least maybe one all four. But I think it's an advantage. I think it's more of a benefit for for the Panthers, I think if the Panthers don't worry about what the other teams in the division are doing and focus on themselves, they'll be in a much better place. Because I think the I think the Saints were in their head all season long, and they're always worried about what New Orleans was doing. And you really and the Saints were just focused on what was going on in the locker room. So yeah, I think I think if they focus, if they handle their business in the locker room. They'll be just fine. All right. Speaking of the New Orleans Saints, they're our next team up from the NFC South. 
Last year, they finished 13-3. and They made it all the way to the NFC Championship game. And uh, we all know what happened there. Uh, they got a terrible call from the refs on a clear that they won't let go. pass interference that's gonna f- that's been fueling them through the whole offseason and into this season. That's either going to help them or it's going to hurt them. But uh, they raised enough of a stink that now we have a new uh, replay challenge in the NFL. Well, now pass interference is actually a call that can be challenged. Uh, we actually got one uh, in the preseason game between the Falcons and and the Broncos, uh, it was called pass interference on the field, and it was held up by the replay. So the important additions to the New Orleans Saints, tied in Jared Cook, running back Latavius Murray, offensive lineman Eric McCoy and Nick Eason, defensive end Mario Edwards, and safety Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Uh, Latavius Murray is going to step in for the departed uh, Mike, uh, Mark Ingram, um, so he's going to be the second half of the two-headed running back tandem. Uh, Latavius Murray has always been a, you know, that's his role. He's a good backup running back, spell your starter type running back. So I, I think he will excel in New Orleans. He'll be able to catch a lot of balls out of the backfield on third down, line up in the slot. Uh, but I think the most important thing that they're trying to do in New Orleans is get a tight end because they haven't really had a really great functioning tight end since the days of um, Jimmy Graham. And that's really going to be a big key because we all know that Drew Brees' arm isn't getting any stronger. And, uh, you know, they can't really strike on that deep ball like most teams can. They kind of have to work the middle of the field. You need a good tight end. So Jarrett Cook, I think, coming over uh, will definitely be a big uh, help for Drew Brees this year. Uh, just kind of who you like as far as who the Saints added and who kind of scares you uh, from these additions since, you know, this is a team that you will be competing for the division title with. I would say that I would say probably out of the additions, yeah. maybe Jericho. Uh, really, I would, if I really want to kind of be technical, I mean, re-signing Michael Thomas is an addition and you know that man is a beast that man is a monster so i think you know the if we really want to look at it the nfc south has three of the toughest receivers in the division and and uh julio jones mike thomas and mike evans so um but out of the additions i think latavius murray he can he definitely offsets Alvin Kamara in the in the backfield. Uh, he's definitely the power back that the Saints uh, power and elusiveness, and he complements uh, Kamara's uh, speed. So uh, that, that's a like you said, a two headed monster there. And then Jerry Cook, I think Jerry Cook's a reliable tight end. Uh, that's gonna definitely help Drew Brees in that short game. Uh, with those grab routes and and then that's really the two main keys out of the additions that I see there that would be a threat. Uh, but as long as you got thirteen on the on the on the field, he's dangerous and that defense is still especially the secondary. The secondary is definitely not one of the best with so you know, much as I don't like the Saints, I respect the heck out of them. You know, I do respect 
what they've done, how they've really retooled this team and got back into contention. Because for a long time, it looked like ever since the Super Bowl, it looked like they were they were just uh, not really as tuned as they once were over the last year or so. They've really been back in sync. The losses for the Saints include, like I said, running back Mark Ingram, center Max Unger, a nose tackle Tyler Davison, uh, defensive end Alex Okafor, and tight end Ben Watson. Now, Mark Ingram had, you know, really struggled his first couple of years, but then he lost a little weight, became a better receiver, and he was actually starting to really uh, become a really important part of that Saints offense the last, like, three years or two years in his uh, contract. Uh-huh. What kind of factor, what kind of drop-off do you see between Mark Ingram and Latavius Murray? Uh, you know, Mark Ingram having the familiar, you know, knowing the system, being ingrained in that Sean Payton offense for so many years, and now Murray's got to come in and learn it. Uh, just, you know, how much of a drop-off do you see between those two guys? Initially, it's going to be, initially it's going to be a big drop-off, but I don't see... I don't see it really becoming too bad. I don't see it too. I think once Murray gets acclimated and adjusted to the system, he's going to be just fine. And so, and so um, it's one of those things where it's really just, you just got to or Saints fans, which they don't have much of uh, patience. That's what it's gonna. That's what it's gonna take, and and I think once once uh, Murray gets adjusted and acclimated in the system, uh, they'll be just fine. I don't think the lack of patience is just something that's a trait of Saints fans. I think that's every NFL fan. Uh, the Saints fans are a different breed, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 give one you give one opinion on. On the on the on the Saints, and your mentions are up in smoke. <laughs> <laughs> the last team that we'll talk about from the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They finished last year at five and eleven. Important additions: head coach Bruce Arians, linebacker Devin White and Shaquille Barrett, defensive lineman and Dominican Sue, linebacker safety Dion Buchanan, uh, punter Bradley Pinion, rod receiver. Brashad Breeman, or excuse me, Brashad Perryman, excuse me. Cornerbacks, uh, Sean Murphy Bunting and Jamal Dean. Safety, Mike Edwards. Running back, Andre Ellington. Offensive lineman, Earl Watford. And kicker, Matt Gay. So the biggest addition, of course, is Bruce Arians coming out of the TV booth, back to the sidelines. He's in charge of trying to turn around Jameis Winston, who's in the final year of his rookie contract. He's got to prove that he is a franchise quarterback and that they can trust him moving forward or he is going to be out on a rail of Tampa Bay because Bruce Arians don't mess around when it comes to his quarterbacks. Do you see Bruce Arians being able to sprinkle his magic fairy dust over Jameis Winston and get him to stop turning the ball over? (laughs) Oh, man. Uh... I'm going to say it's a chance. Uh, there's a high chance that he will stop turning the ball over, but 
you are who you are. <laughs> and let's, you know, if James Winston can James Winston, I think, has coasted. He coasted throughout high school. He coasted in his time at Florida State. And I think he kind of had that cool, laid-back demeanor, which borderline cockiness, and thought he could still make all these throws. But the NFL is a much quicker game, right? Right. So, so that's where a lot of the interceptions come from. And I think it's just who Jameis is. Now, can Bruce Arians turn it around? Absolutely. It's definitely a possibility. But I wonder if – I wonder is going to have to start in the mind if Jameis has the mindset to turn it around. And, you know, there's times where I think he does want to turn around. There's times where I don't think he wants to turn around. But – like you said, Bruce Arians does not play when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, he has been the quarterback whisperer. I mean, look at what happened with Andrew Luck uh, during Arians' time there and then after Arians left. And then um, Carson Palmer. Wait, was it Carson Palmer? Yep, Carson Palmer, yeah. Arizona. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah, with Carson Palmer and – Ben Roethlisberger when he was offense coordinator in Pittsburgh. Right, exactly. So he can do it. It's definitely he can definitely do it. But it's going to be up to it's definitely going to be up to him. It's, if he doesn't put in the effort, then yeah, he's not getting that extension, and it's going to be a very tough road. It's going to be a starting. It's going to be a start of a journeyman career if he doesn't turn that around so I definitely hope he can and you know for the sake of I mean competition Bucks fans I know Bucks fans gotta be going mad over what's been the state of their team over the last several years because uh, they haven't made it to the playoffs they haven't really made a splash in the division while the other three teams are just like fighting each other. They're just really on just the sidelines, just looking. So, um, like I said, I just don't think the will. He has the skill, but does he have the will? That's the real question. And I don't. I'm not sure if he has that yet. Jameis Winston is the classic big-armed gunsling quarterback. The more times you can make it clear that it's man-to-man. And that is going to be, you know, man to man and safeties and linebackers are going to have to run with people. He'll eat you up because, you know, what I'm saying all he's going to do is just pick his fastest guy. You know, what I'm saying throw the ball where he gets in trouble is when it's third and eight and you got to run those, you know, what I'm saying formations that they can play zone against. You might not have as many wide receivers out there, but you might have more tight ends or running backs and you really got to be judicious with the football. That's oh. where he gets in trouble. If you watch a lot of his interceptions, it's usually because he's fooled and he's throwing into his own defense. Oh. So if Bruce Arians can maybe dictate through formations more man-to-man defenses, then I think that that might, just off being able to recognize what's going on at the line of scrimmage a lot easier, 
cut down on a few more interceptions for Jameis. But, uh, you know, he he throws a lot of interceptions in the red zone because teams throw play a lot of zone in the red zone because there's not that far to go. So you have to be more accurate and more able to read the play before it happens. And that's kind of not Jameis's strong suit. At least it hasn't been so far. So we'll see if Bruce Arians can kind of get his mental acumen up to his physical acumen. And then, you know, we may start to see things turn around. As far as the important losses for Tampa Bay, like I said, they lost Jerome McCoy, linebacker Quan Alexander, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys, quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, defensive man Benny Curry, cornerback Brent Grimes, running back Jacquez Rogers, and their punter Brian Anger. So besides Jerome McCoy, uh, Deshaun Jackson, uh, definitely in Ryan Fitzpatrick and Benny Curry, Three names that really stand out to me. Um, Jameis and Deshaun Jackson just never had any type of chemistry at all. Um, They just never connect. It was worse than actually Kirk Cousins and Deshaun Jackson. And I thought that was like a disaster. But yeah, Jameis Winston and Kirk and uh, Deshaun Jackson was even worse. Um, Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, just because of, you know, what he was able to do when Jameis was suspended at the beginning of the season and, had to come back in to kind of spell Jameis for a couple of games there when Jameis was just playing bad. And then, um, of course, another loss to the, the defensive line, Benny Curry, um, you know, defensive end that can still get after quarterback, make a lot of plays. Um, we're in total rebuild mode here for the Buccaneers, I, it would seem. So, you know, I don't think that they're really – you know, their 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 fans are probably hurt by all the people that they lost. But I think as an organization, they're probably like, you know, we got cap space. We get a chance to see some young guys and we have had some guys on this uh, roster like Jaquiz Rogers, who've kind of had small roles. But, you know, they've taken up more of a roster spot than anything else. So at this point, what do you see overall for Tampa Bay's season? As a whole, you know, besides Jameis, what's another uh, storyline that you can see coming out uh, for Tampa Bay? Like, who's going to be their running back? That's always been my question since they got rid of Muscle Hamster or whatever his name is finally. Peyton Barber. Okay. Yeah, I think Peyton Barber's probably going to be the running back. Uh, kind of, not only say that because he's really the only recognizable name on that roster for me, so... Uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of interesting. Uh, what's the word? Interesting storylines here, and I just think that the books, like you said, they got a lot of work to do, and and because they have a lot of work to do, this going to just be one of those things where patience is definitely going to be the, the main thing. I know they're probably running short of patience considering how long they've been, they've been um, on the outside looking in this playoff picture, but what can you do at this point? Uh, I think one of the big losses they suffered was Quan Alexander him going to San Francisco. That kind of impacts the defense a lot. Um, and then Brent Grimes. I think Brent Grimes, who's very underrated as a cornerback, I think 
He's definitely he definitely was one of those key players in Tampa. I definitely enjoyed enjoyed um, watching his game a couple times a year. So with Tampa Bay, you know, I think they're gonna. If I had to predict a record, I would say maybe six and ten. Uh, Jameis leaves at this point. I don't think I just don't see it working out. Um, get through to him, and they have a, a losing record like six or ten or worse. Then you know it's probably time to move on from that. All right, so now it's time for your overall predictions. The order of how the teams will finish in this year's NFC South. Saints, Panthers, Falcons, and you could change the Panthers and Falcons interchangeably. I think that that race is going to be pretty close. And the Buccaneers. All right, all right. I think it's going to be the Saints. I think it's going to be Atlanta. I think that with Dan Quinn more in charge of things as far as defensively, I think that they're going to definitely be a beast over on defense. I think Carolina is going to take a little step back just because Cam's coming off injury, new receivers. They got to get a little bit of timing in the beginning of the season. And then Tampa Bay, of course, is going to bring up uh, the rear. Um, I just don't know about them. They're such a mystery just because you don't know what type of play their quarterback's going to give them. Like everybody else, you can kind of, if Cam's healthy, you know he's going to play well. Matt Ryan is, you know, gets protected, he's going to play well. And you know what Drew Brees is going to do. It's just that wild card of Jameis. You know, one week he's going to play great, and two weeks he's going to play awful, and, you know, the fourth week he's going to play okay. And, you know, it's just, just don't know. So Bruce Arians can get him consistent. You know, Tampa Bay could surprise a few people and, you know, they could get to a 7-9 or an 8-8, eight eight, you know, if things fall right. All right. This is Know the Score. We're previewing the NFC and AFC South divisions for the 2019 NFL season. Please visit CSPN.us and visit our sponsors. You can click on the Keep Our Podcast Free tab at the top of the page. Do some shopping with Amazon through CSPN. That helps keep Know the Score and all of our podcasts on the CSPN free each and every week. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. Now we're going to shift over to the AFC South. We're going to start with the Houston Texans. They won the division last year with a record of 11-5. and five. They ran off nine straight wins after like an 0-3 start. Just a great turnaround. It looked like Bill O'Brien might have been the first coach fired in the middle of the season, but then he 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 found the mojo, him and Deshaun Watson and, and Andre Hopkins in the defense. Uh, important additions to this year's squad, offensive tackle Titus Howard and Max Sharpring, uh, left tackle Matt Khalil, safety Tayshawn Gibson, cornerbacks Brian Bobby Calhoun, Bradley Robley, and Lonnie Johnson Jr., quarterback A.J. McCarron, and tight end Cahill Warren. You can also add J.J. Watt will be coming back to this year's squad, too, from off an injury last year. So, you know, just one more addition to an already stacked defense in full. J.J. Watt has been coming off of uh, two injury seasons. He had a back, then he had a knee. 
So it'll be interesting to see just, you know, what version of J.J. Watt we are getting. Everybody's assuming it's going to be the dominant guy, but he's getting older now. So, you know, you don't come back from these injuries quite the same. But uh, just on the additions to this Houston Texans team, does anybody stand out to you? Oh, as I take a look at it, not really, honestly. I think that. I think that's really the status quo here, but uh, I don't see AJ McCarron kind of taking over the Sean Watson spot. Um, maybe Bradley Roby probably be the most significant addition uh, to Sean Gibson. He kind of give the Texans insight on the Jaguars two times a year, since that's where he was before. Um, I think the departures are more significant than the arrivals, if we're being honest. Okay, so we'll shift over to their important losses for the Houston Texans in the offseason. Cornerback slash safety Kareem Jackson, safety Tyron Matthew, tight end Ryan Griffin, cornerback Kevin Johnson, wide receiver Demarius Thomas, and safety Andre Hall. Of course, the Honey Badger stands out, but I really think that Kareem Jackson is going to be a huge loss. I'm a big fan of his uh, just because he can play so many positions. He's like, you know, he allows your defensive coordinator to come up with a whole bunch of cool defenses because, you know, he can play them in so many different positions and get other people on the field as well. I think that that's going to be one of the uh, bigger losses for Romeo Cornell and his defense coming up this season. And if you're not able to get the get off the fields, how are you going to win games? So I think defense is definitely going to be one of the keys for the Texans going forward. And but we'll have to see how the games play out. Usually, uh, who makes the roster and go from there and see what kind of performance uh, these guys put on. Also for additions, uh, Will Fuller will be returning off of an ACL injury this year as well. Uh, He is one of the most uh, electrifying big play targets in the league right now, but he just can't stay healthy. But if he can put together a majority of a season, uh, man, there's no telling how explosive the Texans offense can be and what kind of numbers he can put up. Because, man, when when he goes for one, he goes for like 60 or 70. 50 is like a small one for Will Fuller. So it'd be interesting to see if he has that same explosiveness uh, when he comes back from his ACL injury this year. Moving on to the Indianapolis Colts. They were 10 and six last year. They made the playoffs as well out of this division. Uh, The important additions to the Colts this year, defensive end, Justin Houston, wide receivers, Devin Funches and Paris Campbell running back, Spencer Ware cornerback, Rock Syene, and offensive assistant, offensive head coach, Howard Mudd. Defense, defense, and more defense uh, seems to be the thing for the Colts, the new version of the Colts. Uh, Last year, their defense was one of the best out of nowhere. Um, Then this year, they add Justin Houston. They're adding cornerbacks as well. Um, But I think a lot of people, again, it's going to come all down to Everybody knows the health of Andrew Luck. He's battling through injury right now in training camp. He's got a calf strain that he got during the mini camp that has now lingered into training camp. And so he's been shut down 
for the next two weeks. And, you know, everybody has all eyes on Andrew Luck. They think he's going to be okay. But with the light of the Kevin Durant calf strain turning into an Achilles, you know, they're trying to be extra cautious with him. But I want to get your estimation to Wayne, even though you were disgruntled with him in Carolina, how do you feel Devin Funches incorporates himself into this wide receiving core here in Indianapolis? And can he make an impact, uh, you know, in his first season? He can make an impact. Uh, like I said, he's not a bad player. He's got he's got flashes of brilliance. So he just needs to let the brilliance come out on a consistent basis. And that's really what it comes down to. And so I think Andrew Luck can find ways to get him the ball. Uh, but it's gonna it's only one football and you know, you gotta make sure T gets his, you got Eric Ebron there, Jack you're gonna have Jack Doyle. So and then you'll have Marlon Mack in the backfield. So what you do with that is you end up trying to get the best out of that quarterback. And I think with all the incentives that are that are in the contract, he has a very good chance of picking that up. So we'll just have to wait and see. Last year, uh, Frank Wright, uh, his first year as a head coach, the Colts definitely surprised a lot of people. They had a new offensive approach. Uh, they did a much better job of protecting Andrew Luck. Also, drafting Quentin Nelson helps that as well. Uh, so he did not take nearly the punishment that he has in the past. But, you know, the years of not having an offensive line is still taking its toll on him because, you know, he has these nagging injuries uh, that he just can't seem to shake. But I think uh, Frank Wright's offense, like we talked about last year in the preview, definitely – saved him a lot and will continue to extend his career just because he'll get rid of the ball fast and not take as many big hits and have to wait for guys to come open because they don't have that, you know, long formed up passing game. They they get it out quick. They use the tight ends, running backs a lot, get guys in space and let them do work. Important losses to the Colts offensive lineman, Matt Slauson. Uh, they fired the offensive line coaches, uh, safety, Mike Mitchell, linebacker, Najee Good. Defensive tackle Al Woods, tight end Ryan Hewitt, and receivers Ryan Grant and Dontrell Inman. Not really uh, any you know household names here on this uh, important losses list, but uh, do you think that the improvement will be upward for uh, Indianapolis this year, or will they kind of level out? Just because last year, Frank Wright, nobody actually knew what he was going to do as a head coach. They might have had an idea based on what Philadelphia had done. But, you know, new players, a little bit different tweaks to the scheme. Do you think that they can improve on their 10-6 and six this year? Or do you feel like they'll come back to the pack a little bit? All right. So, yeah, do I think that they'll go 10-6 and six and improve or less than that? That's a good question. So, I want to say that they will probably go – They'll probably regress a little bit. So, yeah, I think they'll go backwards just a little bit, uh, mainly because they still seem, in a sense, one-dimensional. I think what they would need to do is make sure Marlon Mack is healthy and he can 
and he can play the full season and or play a significant portion of the season. So that way, you know, you don't have to put all the pressure on Andrew Luck. If you put too much on Andrew Luck, then then th- bad things will happen to the team. So that's why I would say that's why I would say just get them to um to a ten and six record. Uh, if they get the ten and six, that'd be pretty good. But I think they'll probably go like nine and seven. But this is a team where they still have some pieces that they need to add to really become a true contender in this league. All right. We'll move on to one of the biggest disappointments of last season, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, a lot of people had them with Super Bowl dreams and aspirations after they came up just short to New England in the AFC Championship game. Well, last year they went a disappointing 5-11. and So, of course, that brought about a lot of changes, number one being the addition of quarterback Nick Foles. Wide receiver Chris Conley, defensive end Josh Allen that they drafted out of Kentucky, tight end Jeff Swain, uh, right tackle Jawan Taylor, linebacker Jake Ryan, and running back Alfred Blue. So, of course, the big news coming into this season for Jacksonville, better quarterback play finally. The Jaguars, after almost a decade, have moved on from Blake Bortles to Nick Foles, and everybody thinks that's going to be worth at least three to five games right there just because they now have a competent quarterback to go with such a fierce defense. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel that Nick Foles will be the missing ingredient to put the Jaguars back into serious playoff and Super Bowl contention? I think so because, look, Nick Foles, this is a different Nick Foles from when he first left Philadelphia to the – Second time he's left Philadelphia, I think the first time he was an immature quarterback who was just watching passes, but now he's a guy that makes uh, sound decisions. He makes sound decisions. He makes his players look good, and it's definitely an upgrade from Blake Bortles. Okay. And and so uh, because – I mean, Blake Bortles did what he could um, with what he had. He did get him. I mean, let's not make any mistake about it. He did get him to the playoffs. You know, this uh, the season before last, he got he managed that game all the way to the to the um, AFC title game where they you know ultimately got eliminated, but it did kind of put and they kind of put the lead on notice that this could be the team of the future if they do everything correctly. Important losses to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Defensive tackle Malik Jackson, safeties Barry Church and Tashawn Gibson. Linebacker Telvin Smith, uh, Jeremy Parnell on the offensive line, tight end Austin Safarian Jenkins, and running back TJ Yeldon. I think right off the bat, T.J. Yeldon becomes a big loss just because you don't know what you're going to get out of Leonard Fournette as far as health and his overall interest in playing football. Uh, Big loss to the defense as, you know, Tashawn Gibson, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Malik Jackson along the defensive line, and also Telvin Smith just kind of 
saying he's got some personal issues. I don't know if it's health or mental health, but he says that he needs to take a year off of football and kind of get himself situated, and then he may be able to come back next year if he's in a better place. How big of a step back does all those losses, um, you know, contribute to the defense taking uh, this year? Um, you, you know, they've still got um, – Oh, man, uh, Ramsey on the outside. They still got Calais Campbell up front. Uh, but that secondary is a lot thinner than it was a couple of years ago when we were praising them for having the best uh, secondary in the league. Yeah, uh, the defense really dropped off tremendously. I kind of never seen a defense drop off that badly. I mean, we were calling this. We were calling this uh, team in the city Saxonville because all the sacks they would get based off the coverage that was being played. So, you know, the coverage was so good that, you know, the front seven could just easily go in and do their thing. But now it's going to be a little, a lot tougher, not even a little bit, a lot tougher now because of the, the personnel that they don't have. And when they get into, when you do get into the, uh, Think of things, you know, there's so a lot of key losses and a lot of people that contributed to this era of Jaguars of football. But I think now with the as much as, you know, you have guys who are caring more about their mental health, which is I think an awesome thing. I think Telesmith's doing the right thing. You know, it may seem like it's a selfish move, but the Celtics will be being on the field, knowing you're not giving it your all, and someone else could have your spot. You know, just uh, keep it warm or something of that sort. But you really need that time away. So I commend I commend Helen Smith on getting the help that he needs to make himself right. And then, you know, once he's right, I think the team will be okay. And then and then we just go from there, see how it goes. All right. The big question to me is just uh, how engaged and how healthy Leonard Fournette's going to be. Uh, he has the ability to be, you know, in the conversation with the Todd Gurley's, with the Ezekiel Elliott's as, you know, the best backs in football, most important to their team. But, um, you know, he's just had a lot of injuries and he just seems uh, disinterested a lot. So if he can kind of get the love for football back a little bit this year, uh, winning definitely will help that. And I think that, uh, you know, he's due for a big bounce back season. Our final team in the AFC South, we're going to go to the Tennessee Titans team who was in the hunt for the playoffs, but they missed out in the last game of the season. They came up just a little short. They finished the season at 9-7. and seven. The important additions to the Titans, guard Roger Saffold, quarterback Ryan Tannehill, uh, outside linebacker Cameron Wake, receiver Adam Humphreys, defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, wide receiver A.J. Brown, guard Nate Davis, defensive back Amani Hooker, linebacker DeAndre Walker, linebacker David Long, and tight ends coach Todd Downing. Now, Dwayne, you're very familiar with the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel last year had a lot of confidence in the uh, preseason. He was talking big, and uh, he almost backed it up. He, he almost came one game short. They had a chance to get themselves in the playoffs with their own 
victory. They ran into some problems the week of the game as Marcus Mariota had to miss the game. Uh, their defensive coordinator, Dean Pease, was in the hospital, so he missed the game. And kind of Rabel had to kind of take over the defensive coordinator duties kind of last minute there. So a lot of things kind of went into that last game that kind of kept them out of the playoffs. But a big emergence was that uh, Derrick Henry, uh, you know, finally broke out last year. They finally started giving him the ball and more of the future back role and less of the, you know, spelling the dual threat role. And he shined. Uh, he tied the record for the longest touchdown run in NFL history, 99 and one half yards uh, last year. <laughs> so breakout season for Derrick Henry. Uh, but for these additions to the team, uh, who stands out to you um, for the Tennessee Titans this year? Uh, Cameron Wake for one. Uh, you know, definitely on the outside of the the on the edge there. I think bringing him in was a huge move. Uh, Adam Humphreys too. He was a good move too for the Titans as well. Um, uh, you know, leaving Tampa Bay, kind of getting that opportunity in the in the slot. Uh, Roger Saffold, uh, you put him and Taylor Lewan on the same side on the on the uh, left tackle side. That definitely will help keep Marcus Mariota upright and healthy. So, but if you really look at it, to the you know, Mariota doesn't stay healthy. They got a quality backup in Ryan Tannehill. I think being able to not have as much pressure being the being a tight end, I mean, not a tight end, being the starting quarterback, um, should ease the pressure off of him. That was a good, uh, good uh, move for the Titans there. I also say that AJ Brown, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, Mainly AJ Brown. You put him on one side, Corey Davis on the other side, the Lady Walker in the tight end spot. And that could be a very formidable combination. Just got to make sure that the quarterback is up right to get him the ball. Um, so those are like the biggest additions that the Titans made. And I think that should help them going forward, definitely. Marcus Mariota is in is at the end of his rookie contract as well, but he's not quite in the same position as Jameis Winston is where he has to prove it to the franchise he's playing for. I think Tennessee knows what they have. They just got to figure out a way to get him through a whole season. And that's kind of their goal this year. Like you said, getting uh, Roger Saffold uh, up on that line, just uh, and Nate Davis as well, just trying to get as many people to protect them as they can. So if they do have injuries, they don't have a fall off in which could lead to Marcus Mariota getting injured. Uh, important losses. The offensive coordinator, Matt LaFleur, he's moved on to become the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Outside linebacker, Brian Arakpo, retired. Outside linebacker, Derek Morgan. Safety, Jonathan Cyprian. Line, uh, excuse me, offensive guard, Quentin Spain, uh, as well as Josh Klein. And they uh, lost Blaine Gabbard as their backup quarterback. So right off the bat, New offense slightly for Marcus Mariota this year with Matt LaFleur being gone. Uh, just talk about how big of a loss that is, just considering that's the only offensive coordinator quarterback coach he's known. Oh, I mean, this is, you got 
So what happens when you're a good coordinator. You get the chance to become a head coach. So you can't fault Matt LaFleur for wanting to take over the Packers. So, you know, Marcus Mariota is probably used to transition. How many head coaches has he had in this time in Tennessee? Uh, if we really want to put it that way. So I think he'll be just fine and adjusting and learning the new system, new offense. Um, so, I mean, yeah, maybe the only coordinator he's ever known, but it's kind of like just having another coach, you know, different coaches, uh, different things there. So I think the system's already in place anyway. And so they just need to focus what's going on on the field, whether it's at, at Nissan Stadium or uh, St. Thomas Park, where they practice at. So wherever they, I think if you really want to look at it that way, they will be just fine in terms of learning a new system, learning the tweaks of the offense, and going from there. Jonathan Cyprian, a big-name safety, you know, anchor of the defense in the secondary, that's going to be a huge loss. I thought that he played some of his best football in the past, like, two or three years, especially last year, learning a new defense. And there might be able Brable features him a lot. Um, how much of a loss is Jonathan Cyprian going to be to the overall effectiveness on this Titans defense? Won't be too much of a loss because they got Kenny Vaccaro there. So, uh, yeah, and they resigned Kevin Byard. So, Byard and Vaccaro pretty much – are the guys in Tennessee now. So, uh, yeah, you lose Jonathan Cyprian. He was very effective. He was very effective in the safety position for the time he was there. But um, when you got Kevin Byard, who's really elevated himself to one of the best safe, one of the best free safeties in the game right now. And then, you know, for... Cyprian, he goes on to Philadelphia, so I think he's in a good landing spot. He won't be too, he won't be too upset about that. All right, so now it's time for predictions. How do you think the AFC South will stack up this year, as far as who will win the division, and if you think they'll get multiple playoff teams as well? I didn't ask you that about the South, but we know they will because they always do usually. Yeah, NFC South always does. We, I'm not worried about that. Uh, <laughs> um, for the AFC South, I think you will have the Colts at one, the Titans at two, and that's going to be close. So I think Tennessee breaks through this season. Um, Houston and then Jacksonville. And so, do you see three teams possibly coming out of this division? Uh, you think the Texans are going to slip that much where they're going to miss the playoffs completely? Uh, I think they will slip. I think there's a possibility to get three in. It will probably be that last playoff spot will be between the Titans and Texans. And so, you know, that's why winning – a sweep would be beneficial to either one of those teams against the other, all, between old Houston and new Houston. 
Uh, I'm going to go with the Texans defending the division championship. I think Deshaun Watson is just going to be able to become just even more electric and more dynamic because he's going to be able to get his completion percentage higher. He only completed about 55% of his passes last year uh, towards the end of the season. Then I think the Colts, because I think that their defense is going to be able to win them a few games while Andrew Luck is kind of working on his health. I agree with you that the Titans are going to break through this year and they're going to be a 10-win team. And then I feel like you, the Jaguars, are going to kind of improve a little bit, but I think their defense is just taking too big of a hit too fast to kind of, you know, be what it was. And, you know, I don't know. You still don't know what Nick Foles is going to do in a new offense and everything like that. So just too many question marks for me to make the, you know, Jaguars just jump back into the mix in one season. But it's very possible because this is the NFL where play like I think it's like 45 percent of the playoff teams turn over every year. So there's going to be somebody that you don't see now that's going to end up taking somebody's spot that you thought was a definite. Uh, it happens every year. So that was our AFC and NFC previews uh, and our what we think is going to happen as far as the standings go. So at this point, Dwayne, I'm going to turn it over to you for your final thoughts and shout outs. Oh. Does the final thought have to be about football or can it be anything? It's your, it is your segment, sir. <laughs> okay. So, uh, shout outs, um, everybody. Love everybody. Protect our women. Uh, empower our women. You know, definitely want to be sure that everybody is what's the word I'm looking for? Everybody is treated with the utmost respect. A lot of things been going on. A lot of and so definitely want to make sure that, you know, all of our women are protected, looked out for and and um taken care of. Um shout out to CSPN, shout out to you, Don, shout out to all the listeners, uh, my family, things of that and friends and everybody that's supported me uh final thought um so the mets have been setting out traps lately to try to lure me back into following them and they've succeeded um uh, july 25th this team was 40 and 51 and now they are 57 and 56 17 and 5 once everybody realized they weren't going to get traded, they started playing better. Imagine how that works. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, I, I, it's really kind of just been a fun time, and kind of got to give uh, Brody Van Wagen in. You know, I think the chair throwing kind of helped to uh, get all that frustration out. So. Um, and then not, you know, making a couple subtle trades, kind of getting rid of, you know, bad Juju, a.k.a. Jason Vargas, um, bringing in some, bringing in uh, Marcus Stroman. That was huge. And so now good times are once again ha- having – our hat in Queens and the Mets went from eight and a half games out on the wild card to two games out on the second wild card spot. I don't know what's been going on with everybody else. 
Um, they were 12 and a half games in the high of the division. Now they're eight and a half games out. Too early to say, but it is kind of good to kind of be back in the baseball mix once again. Well, I, I know what happened to Atlanta. They traded for a closer who done blew every game he's done been in since he's been on the team. That's what happened to them the last couple of days. Sean Green has been <laughs> awful for them. He was outstanding <laughs> for Detroit. You know how I know? Because he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it's like, oh, man, he just went from, uh, you know, a team that's like 14 games out just playing the play to uh, the division leader. Oh, he about to get in every game and I'm about to blow up here for a little bit. Nope, hasn't been the case. Oh, and then the man. Cubs and Cardinals, uh, they're neck and neck. They're trading the lead back and forth like almost every day, every other day. And then the Dodgers are just killing folks out west. So it's not, you know, that, that National League has gotten stacked up in the middle because uh, Pittsburgh's been still playing well. Uh, like you said, you guys have started to come on. The Nationals uh, started to come on a little bit. So, yeah, it's like six teams in the mix right now for that second wild card spot. Yeah, it's going to be a fun, fun September and October coming up. Oh, oh, fun rest of August and September. Let's put it like that. All right, all right. I'd like to thank the Libra icon, Dwayne, for joining me once again on this episode as we've got to preview the AFC and NFC South. I just want to remind everybody to please check out our Patreon page over on patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. I just give a shout out to everybody who listens and downloads to the episodes and interacts. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, my final thought this week will be uh, the fireworks that took place uh, this weekend on the track in NASCAR wasn't a very eventful race as Chase Elliott led, I think, like 75 of the 90 laps at the Watkins Glen road course. His second victory in a row at the road course. Uh, last year, he won his very first race of his career in, NAS- in Monster Cup, the highest series in NASCAR at that track. And he followed it up again this year. So uh, those fans up there have basically... Uh, adopted him as their new native son. So that's kind of cool to see. But the action was happening behind him as Kyle Bush had a very eventful day. He got into it with William Byron, uh, spun what he thought William Byron caused him to spin out. So then he got even with William Byron, pushed him through the grass on one of the uh, curvy sections of the course. Then William Byron wanted to retaliate against Kyle Bush after the stage during the caution flag. He runs up behind Kyle Bush. Kyle Bush breaks, breaks, you know, like you do on the highway when somebody plays you close. And William Byron just smashed into the back of him, messes up his race car, screws up his day. Then later on in the day, we see uh, Bubba Wallace, driver of the 43 car, go spinning out through one of the turns. And he crashes and his car is all banged up, but he's able to continue. And then uh, at the end, at the beginning of the third stage, we see Kyle Busch and Bubba Wallace just beating and banging on each other, coming down the front stretch right in front of the main grandstand. Uh, Kyle Busch gets in front of Bubba Wallace, and then Bubba Wallace promptly just spins him out to the delight of the crowd. So Kyle Busch was in the midst of a lot of uh, drama on Sunday. Kept the race very interesting. Uh, because, like I said, Chase Elliott had a really good car. He was able to hold off Martin Truex Jr. Uh, basically the same race they raced Again. last year. Yeah. I was say, did this happen last year? <laughs> yeah, it was the exact same situation last year. Uh, but this year, Chase Elliott wasn't a guy looking for his first win. He'd actually, he's won four races since, and he was a lot more smoother, a lot more calm, didn't make any mistakes and held him off. 
But uh, it'd be interesting to see if these things linger as far as Kyle Bush, William Byron, Kyle Bush, and 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 uh, Bubba Wallace. Kyle Bush and Bubba Wallace have a very interesting history. Uh, Bubba Wallace made his name by driving for Kyle Bush in the truck series. And, um, you know, they've always raced each other hard, even when Kyle Bush would drive his own trucks and Bubba would be in those races. Bubba would always, you know, race Kyle Bush hard. So it's going to be interesting to see just kind of what comes to this, if this lingers on throughout the season or if this was just a one race isolated incident. But yeah, it brought that uh, that excitement that NASCAR doesn't really give you a lot these days with the beating and banging and high aggression. And it was all over. So it was a good, entertaining race and good for Chase Elliott. He needs to win as many races as he can to bring NASCAR back to the mainstream of the popularity because he is the new golden boy. And he has the ability to do what Jeff Gordon did for the sport. And let's take it to places that it hadn't been in like 20, 20 years as far as popularity and numbers and attendance go. Hopefully Chase Elliott can continue to put together a fine season, win the championship and get people really excited about his career going forward. And on that note, for my co-host, the Libra Icon, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.